Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're covering chapter 25 in the book Teachings of the Doctrine of Eternal Lives. The title of this chapter is Universal Salvation. This will be episode 671 Joseph Smith God has made provision for every spirit on the eternal world and the spirits of our friends should be searched out and saved any man that has a friend in eternity can save himself if he has not committed the unpardonable sin he cannot be damned Throughout, through all eternity, there is a possibility for his escape in a little time. If a man has knowledge, he can be saved. If he has been guilty of great sins, he is punished for it. When he consents to obey the gospel, whether alive or dead, he is saved. His own mind damns him. Words of Joseph Smith, page 346 and 347. I think that what Joseph Smith means by this is that as soon as he has knowledge that there is a Savior and that if the individual accepts the atonement and sacrifice of the Savior, that he has a way to escape damnation. But the damnation that Joseph Smith is talking about here, being damned in his own mind, is that um, he's damned from progression. He's stuck in his mind. He's stuck... Um, because he will not accept the redemption of the Savior. Um, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I think verse 43, where the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, or maybe it's 2 Corinthians, I don't know, it's been a while, but Paul is talking about, um, he's talking to the Sadducees that were a group of Jews that believed in no resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection. But for some reason, these individuals in Corinth had been becoming Christians. And Paul was trying to like reason with them. 
as uh, it speaks in Isaiah, bring forth your strong reasoning. This is what Paul is trying to do. And he, um, the whole chapter is about why then are they baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why then are they baptized? The whole chapter is about, like, why do you not believe in the resurrection, but you follow Jesus Christ? And Paul's trying to lay out this this reasoning to these Sadducees that were among the Christians that for some reason didn't believe in the resurrection, or I'm not even sure exactly what was going on there, but I know it was Paul talking to these Sadducean individuals. And, um, like, the word... Um, in the particular scripture I'm thinking about why are they baptized for the dead that word for in Greek means in behalf of why are they baptized in behalf of the dead that's what that scripture means in Greek I can't remember what the name of the word is it's been probably 20 years since I researched the Greek of the of that scripture but there's other places in the scriptures where it talks about the dead the dead um like people not being judged for things they didn't know but being judged for things they did know and that the more knowledge we have the more um the more will be judged for what we should have known or done instead of the things that we we didn't know. And I think Joseph Smith understood these things probably better than I do. Maybe he could speak to them better than I can, but I think that's what he's talking about here. Like, I think that um, individuals who... Um, want to tear Joseph Smith down for being a false prophet might take this quote and twist it all up into, oh, Joseph thinks that you can, you can, like, forgive yourself or that you don't need a, an atonement or you don't need a savior. You can save yourself. I don't believe that's what he means at all. I believe that any individual who chooses to accept the redemption and the atonement. That's how they save themselves because they're making the active decision to accept what has been done, which every individual has to do. You can make an active um, decision to reject it. You can make an active decision to accept it. Um... And by not accepting it, that's an active decision not to accept it, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Anyway, so let's go on to Brigham Young and see what he had to say about universal salvation. Once again, I don't accept Brigham Young as the Lord's anointed, um, but he, like any other individual, uh, can receive revelation. I accept that. 
God is no respecter of persons, and he wants us all to be prophets. And all that means is that a prophet is an individual who receives inspiration and direction from the Spirit. And there's different levels of being a prophet. Um, It first comes with feelings, thoughts, and then dreams and visions, and then it, it grows from there according to the what the individual is willing to to do. It's like you don't become a prophet unless you work towards trying to understand God. The more time you spend with God, the more time He'll spend with with you. And even like Paul, before he was converted, he spent a lot of time with God in in study and ponder in Scripture when he was meeting with Hillel, the great sage of his time. Like, he was actively seeking God. God wants all of us to come to him because we're his children. And he wants us to be believing as little children in that we turn to him to know the truth. And it's good when we hear the words of prophets like Joseph Smith, Peter, James, and John, Moses, Jesus himself, It was good for Paul to hear the words of Hillel and other wise teachers. Because what happens when you hear the words of the individuals who proclaim to have knowledge, you begin to ponder in your mind and seek answers to questions that you may not have thought of before. And I believe Brigham Young did this with Joseph Smith. He heard the words of Joseph Smith. And it began to cause Brigham Young to ponder in his mind and try to understand things. And though he may have disagreed with other people like Orson Pratt or whoever, they were the product of hearing the the Lord's anointed who is Joseph Smith. So I don't accept Brigham Young as being the Lord's anointed, but I do accept that there is value in a lot of the words that he has to give. But I don't put my trust in Brigham Young or Joseph Smith simply because we don't place our trust in the flesh. We hear what the words of the prophet are, or we hear the words of the teacher, but then we begin to ponder it in our own mind. And we begin to take it to God so that we can get an answer from God, because the only 
interpretation of scripture that matters is God's interpretation. The only truth that matters is God's truth. And though a man in the flesh, whether he be Peter or Paul or even Jesus, as interpreted in our own mind, we're doing two things. If we're not turning to God, we are trusting in the flesh, even though it be Jesus, and we're interpreting it with our own mind. So we're trusting in the flesh of another and in the flesh of our own mind. When what we should be doing is trusting God and taking everything to God and asking Him the truth of these things, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He is your father and you are his child. And scripture is not for private interpretation, but the interpretation that God gives is the only interpretation that matters. So let's see what Brigham Young has to say. We have all come from one father, even Adam. Both the black and the white, the grizzled and the gray, the noble and ignoble. And the time will come when they will all come back again into his presence. When they have behaved themselves and proved faithful to their calling and to their God. And quote Brigham Young, October 8, 1854, General Conference Report, Church Archives. Also see Essential Brigham Young, page 100. See, in Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the Ancient of Days coming down. If you ask a Jew who that is, many of them will tell you it's Father Adam. Father Adam is our father both spiritually and physically. And his God is Jehovah our Elohim. And I've talked about Jesus Christ and Jehovah or Jehovah not being the same individual before. I won't talk about that in the scripture other than go and read um, Moses chapter 1 especially focusing on verse 6, but the whole the whole chapter really pay attention to the fact that it's Jehovah that's speaking to Moses, and Jehovah says that Moses, you are in the very similitude of mine only begotten son. But continuing on, how many gods there are, and how many places there are in the kingdoms is not for me to say but I can say this which is a source of much comfort consolation and gratification to me 
Behold the goodness, the long-suffering, the kindness, and the strong parental feelings of our Father and God in preparing the way and providing the means to save the children of men. Not alone, the Latter-day Saints, not those alone who have the privilege of the first principles of the celestial law, but to save all. It is a universal salvation, a universal redemption. Do not conclude that I am a universalist, as the term is generally understood. Although that doctrine is true in part, like the doctrines or professions of all professing Christians, as was stated yesterday by one of those who spoke, when he was a Methodist, he enjoyed the portion of the Spirit of the Lord. Hundreds of those now present have had a like experience in a greater or lesser degree before they join this church. Then when we inquired who will be saved, I answer, all will be saved, as Jesus said when speaking to the apostles, except the sons of perdition. They will be saved through the atonement and their own good works, or choosing to do good, according to the law that was given to them. Will the heathen be saved? The heathen be saved? Yes, so far as they live according to the best light and intelligence they had. And all that heathen are are those who have never heard um, or understood about the, uh, the redemption and the atonement. Yes, so far as they live according to the best light and intelligence they had, but not in the celestial kingdom, who will not be saved? Those who have received the truth or have had the privilege of receiving it and then rejected it. They are the only ones who will become the sons of perdition and go into everlasting punishment and become the angels to the devil. And I don't believe that at all. Um, I'm going back to DNC section 76 where it talks about those individuals who... um, who were basically Christians, but they didn't accept the restoration. Uh, They have a place in the kingdoms of God. Um, But here Brigham makes it sound like any individual who has had a chance to accept the atonement and they don't, that they are sons of perdition. Now remember, there are no daughters of perdition. There are only sons of perdition. I don't know why that is. But what a son of perdition is, as far as my thoughts on it, are individuals who have accepted the truth, they know it's true, and then they reject it, and they reject Jesus Christ. Somebody who might be an individual who would be a son of perdition if he doesn't repent before he dies... Was Bill Real. This individual 
accepted the atonement. He's one year younger than me. He supposedly converted to the restoration back in the 90s, same as I did. He did not serve a mission, but he did um, serve in many callings, and he eventually became a bishop, and he believed it. He, at one time in his life, knew it was true because the Spirit prompted him and directed him and led him. And then the lies of the adversary he began to notice. Because he placed his faith in the church and in Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ, when he realized the church didn't have the claims that that uh, they professed, like the flaws and, and the, uh, the problems within the church and within the history, and the problems within Joseph Smith and the history that, that the church proclaims, and then all of the anti-Mormon crap, and all of the lies and, and all, of, all of it, Bill Real rejects the restoration, but not only does he reject the restoration, he rejects the reality of the Savior. He rejects the promptings and the confirmation of the Holy Ghost. He now says there is no God. He is a full-on atheist, not an agnostic. An atheist is somebody who says that they know there's no God. Which is weird because how can the, the mortal man with a mind of flesh know there's no God? It's rebellion. He is rebelling against God because he's angry that he was lied to in the church. He's angry that the church is is run by individuals who are not perfect, but they're far from perfect. There's a lot of problems in the church and in the history of the church. A lot of people don't see it because they don't study it, but it's there. And Bill Real studied it, and he sees it. And he rejects the confirmation of the Holy Ghost and the promptings that he once had that caused him to know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Because he places his trust in the arm of flesh, the flesh of others, and the flesh of his own mind, and he rejects the Holy Spirit and the truth that he once had. 
And if he continues on to the end of his life, those are the kind of individuals I believe become sons of perdition. Now, some people might believe that you actually have to see God. Know that God lives and then reject him? Maybe. That would be a very high bar to become a son of perdition. And I personally would rather that that be the case. Because it's, it's, um, it's a horrible tragedy when one individual becomes a son of perdition. But rejection of the Holy Ghost is what causes someone to become a son of perdition. That's why I'm saying I think people like Bill Rill are these uh, these individuals who who reject the Holy Ghost and the promptings of the Holy Ghost are those who are sons of perdition. Of course, like I say, people should take that to God. Uh, if if that's what they really want to know. There's a lot of things that I come across that I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about this, and maybe this is true, and maybe that's true. And, like, it's not something that that I care enough at this time to seek out, seek out answers for. I don't think that we have to know everything <laughs> to pass through the pearly gates. N- not even a little bit. But we do have to accept our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Anyway, continuing on. The priesthood of the Lord has again bestowed upon those who will receive it. it is for the express purpose of preparing them to become proficient in the principles pertaining to the law of the celestial kingdom. If we obey this law, preserve it, inviolate, live according to it, we shall be prepared to enjoy the blessings of a celestial kingdom. Will any others? Yes, thousands and millions of the inhabitants of the earth who would have received and obeyed the law that we preached if they had the privilege, if they had had the privilege, when the Lord shall bring again Zion and the watchmen shall see eye to eye and Zion shall be established, saviors, plural, will come upon Mount Zion and save all the inhabitants and daughters of Adam that are capable of being saved by administering for them. Is this not pleasing? It is, is it not gratifying? Is it not a console, consoling feeling and the influence had in the mind of every intelligent being? Our former views were that the majority of the inhabitants of the earth would not be saved in any any kind of kingdom of glory, but would inherit a kingdom of damnation. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, ye may be also. Or in other words, I go to prepare a place for you who have received and obeyed the celestial law which I have committed to you. The celestial is the highest of all. The terrestrial and the terrestrial are also spoken of. And how many more kingdoms of glory there are is not for me to say. I do not know that there are not innumerable. This is a source of great joy to me. That was Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 35. So this brings up a couple things to my to my mind. I didn't ask for this, but God gave me this beautiful dream many years ago. Where I looked all over the earth in this dream. for individuals to warn about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And um, all I could find were dead trees. Trees represent people. And I knew that the Savior was close to coming And I looked and I saw this granite mountain. And I climbed this this granite mountain. And when I got to the top, I looked up and I saw the eye of God looking over the whole earth. And the sun was rising in the east. And I saw the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. And I saw many individuals on the earth who saw the second coming happen. And the glory of God was destroying the wicked. But there were many, many on the earth that were protected from the fire of God like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And God told me that these were the honorable heathen of the earth those individuals who did not know or understand that there was a redemption, that there was an atonement. And they were protected and they came into the millennial reign and they they all saw the return of Jesus Christ in the air, but they did not know what they were looking at. And I saw many of the tribe of Ephraim with their resurrected husbands and wives. And they were called into these training centers. And they went forth 
among all the nations of the earth, among all of the people who God protected from the destruction of his glory in the second coming, and they baptized those individuals. They taught them who that was that they saw coming in the air. And in one generation, every knee bent and every tongue confessed that Jesus or Yeshua was the Messiah, the the Christ, the Redeemer, the one who atoned for the sins of the world and the fall thereof. I will never forget those things that God showed me in that dream. The other thing I wanted to bring up as I read this quote of Brigham Young is he's talking about Zion and those who live the celestial law of Zion. And I think about the individuals on the earth right now who know about the celestial laws of Zion. The gathering of Israel, the law of consecration and the United Orders, the laws of adoption, the sealing ordinances. They have so much in the libraries of the Restoration that they could learn the celestial law but not only learn learn it but to live it and they just they don't because the church has been told that they're not allowed to have united orders that they're not allowed to live the law of adoption or the sealing ordinances that they're not allowed to gather. So in the Reed Smoot hearings, they were told, the church was told not to gather people from all nations of the earth anymore. And that's when they began this policy where they they would, like Joseph F. Smith would say, oh, you can stay wherever you're at, like, but we'll build these temples all over the earth. Although... That's not what God restored in the Restoration. There was a gathering place that we were supposed to go to. Because of the disobedience of the saints, we were cast out of that place. And instead of repenting and turning back to God and trying to live all that God had commanded... We, over time, as a people, have become more like Babylon than like the people that God restored truth to. The scriptures, they say, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. 
Yet we have a church who has $150 billion in investment accounts and church leaders who live in mansions. I love Elder Uchtdorf, but he owns homes in um, Heber City, uh, Salt Lake County, and Davis County. Before Russell and Nelson moved into uh, the studio apartment, basically. That's what it is. It's owned by the church. Um, he lived in a beautiful, beautiful home in North uh, North Salt Lake, Bountiful area. I mean, he had white carpets in his home. It was a beautiful home. Millions of dollars in real estate property. Just that property, actually. Like Spencer Kimball lived up in Mill Creek. He had a, a humble home. But these guys now, they've got these beautiful, beautiful homes. Of course, Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas Monson, they had, you know, they were nice, but they weren't like ridiculous nice, like Uchtdorf and like um, some of these guys have now. But... Getting away from the fact that these these leaders sit in the lap of luxury when they're supposed to be as apostles traveling the earth, like their home is not meant to be in Salt Lake City, Utah. In fact, the, the teachings of the prophets tell us that they're not to have a home. They're supposed to be traveling ministers. But putting all that aside... It amazes me to hear so many people think that they're going to check off certain things in the modern restoration and that they're going to be exalted in the celestial kingdom of God when they refuse to live the laws of the celestial kingdom. Now, whether or not somebody else is living those laws or not, you know, that determines whether we can live them as well. But like... The church has had over a hundred years since the last United Order. Brigham Young never, as a leader of the church, lived the United Order. But at least he set up United Orders that were successful before the government came in and destroyed them. But there are branches of the Restoration who are not part of the mainstream church who do live United Orders. There are many of them. But you will not find it in the mainstream church. Of course, these United Orders are flawed because they're trying to live it without actually having a prophet of God directing them. But... um, but I think that there's a lot of good ones. Um, I was uh, 
I had members of the AUB or the uh, Apostolic United Brethren, which is the, I think it's the largest fundamentalist denomination of of Mormonism um, behind the mainstream church and behind the community of Christ. But they have a beautiful United Order over in Mount Pleasant. At least they're trying to live the laws that God has given that are laws that we must live in order to be celestial people. And individuals who know about these laws, who never seek to live them, I think that they're going to have to answer for that. And I'll have to answer for it too because I don't live in a united order. I don't live all of the the laws that God has given. In the inspired translation of, of uh, Genesis chapter 9... It states that when there is a people who live all that God has commanded, then Zion will be established below, and we shall look up, and Zion from above will come, and the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven. In order for us to prepare ourselves to be part of those people, We have to study. We have to pray. We have to receive revelation. We have to know what truth is. And there's going to come a point when we will be separated out from among the tares. Not that they will be separated from us. We will come out from them, is what the scripture says. And Isaiah, he sees this remnant. He talks about it all through Isaiah. This small residue of people that come out from the terrors. And he talks about how they are led by this individual who we'll call the Davidic servant in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. And he says that Zion will be born in the wilderness among this remnant, among these people. When the whole world is falling apart, when Babylon itself is burning and in great turmoil, when this land is is riddled with rioting and war and unstable calamity after unstable calamity, these individuals who God calls out from among the terrors, they gather together and they are led by God's servant in the top of the mountains and into the desert places. And they are they who will live God's law. And when there is a people who live all that God has commanded, 
Zion will be born among them and they will look up and Zion will come down out of heaven and the church of the firstborn. And this has to happen in order for Adam and Andayaman to happen. These individuals who are telling you that Adam and Andayaman has already happened, they're deceiving you. They're Judas goats. They want you to pay attention to things that are not important so that you will not focus on those things which are important. Adam and Andayaman cannot happen until there is a people who live all that God has commanded. And when they have lived all that God has commanded and they establish Zion below, they shall look up and Zion from above will come down out of heaven with the church of the firstborn. And in order for Adam to return to the earth, the Ancient of Days is talked about in Daniel chapter 7, the church of the firstborn must come down out of heaven. Then and only then can Adam and Andiamen happen. And Adam and Andiamen has to happen before Jesus returns. But it cannot happen unless there is a people who will live all that God has commanded. And people who are not willing to live the celestial law of God will not receive a celestial inheritance in heaven. Continuing on, the kingdoms that God has prepared are innumerable. Each and every intelligent being will be judged according to the deeds done in the body according to his works. See, remember, works, uh, faith without works is dead. So in, in the book of Revelation, we're judged according to our works. Each and every, in, uh, every intelligent being will be judged according to the deeds done in the body, according to his works. Faith desires in honesty or dishonesty before God. Every trait of his character will receive just merit or de uh, demerit. And he will be judged according to the law of heaven as revealed. And God has prepared places suited to every class. The Savior said to his disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye, there ye may be also. How many kingdoms there are has not been told us. There are innumerable. The disciples of Jesus were to dwell with him. Where will the rest go? Into kingdoms prepared for them, where they will live and endure. 
Jesus will bring forth by his own redemption every son and daughter of Adam, except the sons of perdition, who will be cast into hell. Others will suffer the wrath of God, will suffer all the Lord can demand at their hands, or justice can require of them, and when they have suffered the wrath of God till the utmost farthing is paid, they will be brought out of prison. This is the dangerous doctrine. Is this a dangerous doctrine to, pre- to preach? Some consider it dangerous, but is it true that every person who does not sin away the day of grace and become an angel to the devil will be brought forth to inherit the kingdom of glory, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. So what does it mean to be damned? It means to stop in your eternal progression, basically. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name... Well, I think that there's a a problem with the text here. Basically, he says in my name, uh, well, the scripture says in my name they'll cast out demons, heal the sick, those type of things. This is the law of the celestial kingdom. And those who hearken to this law and embrace its truths in their faith and live them in their lives will be brought to enjoy the presence of the Son and will dwell with Him and the Father. And all the residue, the remnant, who do not sin against the Holy Ghost will be punished according to their deeds. and will receive according to their works, whether it be little or much, good or bad. Jesus will redeem the last and least of the sons of Adam, except the sons of perdition, who will be held in reserve for another time. What say you, ye Latter-day Saints? Is not this the most glorious thought that ever was revealed to mortal man? And that's Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 154 and 155. And then the last quote that we have here is from Hugh Nibley. And Hugh Nibley is actually quoting the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I don't know why, like... Okay, so the author compiles all of these quotes, right? And I guess he read this in one of Hugh Nibley's books. So we're just going to quote Hugh Nibley, who's just quoting the Dead Sea Scrolls. Thou hast caused me to mount up to an eternal height and to walk in an inconceivable exaltation. And I know there is a hope for everyone whom thou didst form of the dust in the presence of the eternal assembly. And that is, quoting from the Dead Sea Scrolls, Nibley on the Timely and the Timeless, page 28. I wish that we knew which cave and record that that he was quoting from. I guess 
I don't have that book to to go and check the reference on it, but um, I, I suppose if we did check that book, if we did ha- if I did have that book, I could find out what the scroll was. I really like Cave Four. Uh, the scrolls from Cave Four, because those are the ones that talk most about the Davidic servant. Um, I think they're fascinating. But anyway, so the next chapter that we're going to read is called The Gods, and it's chapter 26. So this is episode 671. And um, I guess... Thank you for listening. I hope that there's a lot for you to ponder and think about. Um, I I thank you for those who do actually listen to the podcast. And I know that there's a lot of people who just read the same thing that I'm reading. But I think that there's value in hearing me read and then hearing what my thoughts and ideas and opinions and the things that I know... Uh, and pondering over these things for yourself because this is all about trying to learn uh, trying to understand opening up our minds so that we can take things to God and learn to get revelation and confirmation and it's like I've said before in the past like If we want to work out our body and build muscles, then we have to do repetition. It's the same thing with the spirit. Except for with the spirit, instead of lifting up weights, we lift up scriptures. We lift up the words of the prophets. We lift up the words of the sages. We lift up the words of the teachers. And we, we ponder over these things and we take it to God and we do that in every day. And as we do those things, God begins to give us more gifts that we can discern the truth, that we can receive confirmation of the Spirit, that we can come closer to Him to align ourselves with His ways and His will. So I hope that uh, that's what you use these podcasts for. And thank you for those who support me. And um, supporting me is just listening to these words and learning and going to God. Because true prophets, they don't point to themselves. They point to God and they say, this is how I went to God. This is how you can go to God. Because God is no respecter of persons. And even though God has shown me great, a great many things, God wants to show you those things as well. Because you are his child and he loves you. And I save that in the name of Messiah. Amen.
Okay. We usually just make the podcasts and put them out there, but today I thought so lovely. The guest call-in number is 919-889-887. There's two clips that one of them is uh, 12 minutes and 26 seconds long. And then the second one is 43 minutes and 57 seconds long. I'm going to be playing these clips, and anybody who calls in, um, I can take off the air and uh, answer any questions or comments that you might have after the clips are over. If there's anything that was brought up during the off, air conversations between me and whoever calls in. I will answer them live on the air. Uh, but these two clips are about the final prophet and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh. I'm going to play them now. Uh, we have an hour left on the live streaming portion of the radio program. And uh, like I said, anybody who calls in, um, I will take off the air in the screening room so you will not be live on the podcast or radio program because today it is a radio program. And then at the end of both of these clips, if there's anything that you asked me um, during the uh, the recordings, uh, I will answer well, I'll answer you off air, and then I might talk about it a little bit on air. Um, after the live streaming portion of the program is over, I do have an hour where I can go into overdrive, but the only people who can hear that live are people who call in. Um, the rest will be able to hear it in the podcast on iTunes or at blogtalkradio.com. So here is the first of the two clips that I created quite a while ago, reading the Dead Sea, Scroll, uh, Dead sea Scrolls. So I'll mute myself and we'll get right into that. Uh, once again, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. 
I'm your host, Mark Wickenwalter. <clears throat> Today we're going to be reading a book called The Final Prophet. It's not one of the normal books that I read, but it's really interesting and I wanted to share it with everyone. But uh, I'm not going to be doing a reader program on this one. We're just going to read it. Um, you can read it for free online, and I'll put the link in the, uh, the description of this video. But before we get into this, I want to tell you why I'm reading this book. So in 2014, I had a man who flew out from Philadelphia and he wanted me to baptize him. And he was the first of all the people that I had baptized as part of doing this ministry. So we took him down to, I picked him up at the airport with my wife and kids and we took him down to the Jordan River and we found a place where the water was pretty swift, but deep enough to, uh, to baptize him. And it was pretty cold, even though I think it was, it was August. Anyway, so we both stood in the swift water of the Jordan River. And I baptized him into the current. And then afterwards, we were drying off, sitting at the picnic table. And I said, why, why did you want me to baptize you? Like, I talked to him before that, but I never asked him why. And as we're sitting there, he tells me that I fit the description of the final prophet. And I thought that was interesting. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he told me, well, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says these things about the final prophet. And the prophet of Qumran in the Dead Sea Scrolls actually talked about you. And you fit the description of the final prophet. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, part of it was my red beard, he said. Um, and then just my lifestyle and the things that I've done and how things have been in my life. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. And anyway, so we, he continued on with me for about a week and a half. And we actually went to uh, Kevin Kraut's camp out, which if you know, you know. But... Uh, after about a week, I took him to the airport, and uh, and he flew away. <laughs> Never saw him again. Last I heard, he was in Israel. I don't know what he's doing in Israel, but that's where God wanted him to be. And I know that God has chess pieces all over the map of this earth, and he's got his servants where he needs his servants to be. So anyway, after that, I went and I started looking up red 
Beard, Final Prophet. And most of the stuff that I found was that Muhammad had a red beard. <laughs> and they called him the Final Prophet. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I continued to look and look and look. And I, I found this book using the internet. It wasn't easy to find. Because most of the stuff about the Final Prophet that has a red beard talks about Muhammad. And I'm not Muhammad, so... Anyway, this book I found online. And I was amazed by it. And I actually did cover it on the Kingdom of God or Nothing radio podcast. Radio, internet radio show and podcast. But... I don't think I've done that since I had to revamp and do this new program. Another reason why I found it really interesting is because, well, for those of you who know my history, um, my grandparents served seven missions for the LDS church, but my mom was really inactive and I eventually became a Baptist and completely rejected Joseph Smith and the Restoration. But in 1995, as I was laying on the top bunk at my in my bed in the dorms at Job Corps in Clearfield, Utah, where I was getting training to become a diesel mechanic, I was laying there one evening, and I think it was either a Sunday or a Monday. Actually, I think it was a Sunday. Actually, I know it was a Sunday because we were hanging out in the room and a bunch of us were talking and my friends were like, hey, let's go down to the cafeteria and get food. And I was like, oh, I'll just... I'm going to stay here. So they left the dorm, and I was all by myself. And I'm laying on the top bunk looking at the ceiling. Excuse me. And uh, all of a sudden, I was caught up in the spirit. Now, this had happened to me before, and I never control when this happens. I don't even know when it's going to happen. When it happens, all of a sudden... I'm out of my body, and I'm going to a place because God has something to show me. And so I was like, and I always enjoy it because my body, ever since I was young, is full of pain. But when God takes me up in the spirit, I don't feel the density of my body anymore, and I don't feel the pain of my body anymore. And I enjoy these experiences. I wish that they happened more often. But anyway, so I'm flying between Clearfield Job Corps and the Salt Lake City Temple at the speed of sound. Maybe the speed of light. I don't know. It was really fast. Everything was flying by. And all of a sudden, I am in the bottom rooms of the Salt Lake Temple. And Jesus Christ is standing there. And 
he tells me to come with him, and he leads me through the Salt Lake Temple. Now, I had never been to the Salt Lake Temple before, and I saw many things in that temple. Actually, everything in that temple I had never seen before, because I had never been there before, or seen pictures of the inside or anything. So we go, and we I follow him, and he shows me all these things and all these rooms and we go up through the celestial room and we go up uh we go down the hallway by the by the holy of holies in the celestial room and then down by the the hallway by there's an office on the south it's south of the celestial room and then we like go down this hallway and we go to this stairway and we go up these stairs and we go around and he shows me uh, council room and then he shows me like where the prophets meet and then he shows me another room and then eventually we're in this on this stairway that goes up and around and it is in the middle tower on the eastern side and he leads me up to this door which I later found out was the highest room in the temple. And he he says, go in. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I went in that room and it was like going into love times infinity. Like there are no words to describe how powerful the peace, joy, and love of God is in that place. It is almost overwhelming. Before I went in the room, as I'm standing there at the threshold of the door, well, it's not a door, it's a passageway, and there's no veil or anything, it's just open. But I looked in and I saw that there was an altar with a place where you can put your knees and a place where you can put your elbows and kind of kneel but not kneel. And it's only got one side and it faces towards the east, which would be facing the the east side of the outside of the temple, which on the other side of this is the big plaque that says House of the Lord. So, and also, if you're looking at the front of the temple on either side, the north or the south side, there are two round windows, and those windows are there to put light into that room. Now, I mean, I've looked at diagrams and a whole bunch of other stuff. They don't admit this room exists, but it's there, and you can see the windows for it. Anyway, so I'm I'm looking in, and there's like, it's just like a simple room. And I go in this room and it's like, boom, overwhelming love and just like Holy Spirit power, like, oh my gosh, ineffable, amazing. And I heard a voice and I knew who it was. It was the voice of the Father. And he said, you will be the final prophet. And then that's all he said. And then, boom, I'm flying through, like, the speed of sound back, probably faster than the speed of sound, back to my body. And when my spirit 
entered my body, it was like a jolt of lightning. And I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And at the time, I was a Baptist. I hated the Mormons. I thought Joseph Smith was a false prophet. It wasn't until a year later that I had a very traumatic experience and I decided to write God a letter and tell him, if you will heal me and show me the truth, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And it wasn't long after that that I met Elder Bowman and Elder King in Layton, Utah. And when I heard them teach about Joseph Smith and how he didn't know what church to join because like they all had good arguments but basically like he couldn't figure it out and he read in James chapter 1 verse 5 if you lack wisdom ask God actually it was his sister who showed him that scripture and that's how he found it he wasn't just reading through the Bible his sister showed it to him but anyway but he he said, well, you know, if God says that he will give me wisdom on the matter, I will go ask him. And he went into the woods near his home. And he knelt down and he prayed and he was attacked by unseen forces. Now I knew what that was like because that had happened to me many times in my life where Satan would bind me He would scratch me, he would bite me, he would try to suffocate me, and this type of thing, even though Joseph doesn't go into detail, I knew that this this kind of thing happened, and he called upon the name of Jesus Christ, and immediately he saw a light descend from above his head descending down upon him and in the light he saw two persons whose he says his whose brightness and glory defy all descriptions standing above him in the air the one pointed at the other and said this is my beloved son hear him when I heard that witness The Holy Spirit just, it was so peaceful and so full of Holy Spirit power, I don't even know. Like, I was just blown away. And I don't know if I, I think I've heard that before, but I just, I just wasn't ready to accept it. But like, when they told it to me, it was the first time in a long time I had felt peace. Not long before that, I had tried to commit suicide. Because I wanted just to end it all. So when I felt the spirit, I immediately recognized it. 
when the missionaries were there. And when they left, I went to the loft at the apartment that I was staying in behind the Layton Hills Mall. Those apartments are still there. That room still exists. And I knelt up against the bed that I was staying at my friend's house. And I asked God if Joseph was a true prophet and if the Book of Mormon was true. And when I asked in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descended upon me like hot oil, starting at the crown of my head, flowing through my whole body like hot cleansing oil. from the head of the top of my head to the toes of my feet and as I was kneeling there in my mind's eye and in my ears I saw innumerable hosts of heaven praising God with all their might After this experience, I can never deny the reality that Joseph Smith is a true messenger of our God and his Jesus, our Redeemer. Because of my conversion, I started going to church, but all I had was these black clothes because I was a goth. This is back in the 90s. And in fact, the first time I went into church, everybody, when I walked into the chapel, everybody stopped and they were staring at me and like you could hear a pin drop. And the missionaries ran over and they grabbed me and they like took me with them to sit down up in like, I don't know, the third bench in the front from the pulpit. And that was like, I think that was a stake, state conference, which I didn't know what that was at the time. Maybe I did. I don't know. Anyway, because my grandparents were LDS, and it's not like I hadn't been to church before. But, um, and my mom, she would, like, try to get um, welfare from the church, so we would go to church sometimes. But whenever they had stake state conferences or ward conferences like my mom would always be like and I think my grandparents did this too they'd be like oh yeah it's vacation week (laughs) we don't have to go to church like it was a duty to them they had to go my grandparents anyway well my mom too because you know she wanted that welfare food anyway so I, I was baptized in 87 and, like, I was given the ironic priesthood, you know, and a lot of that had to do with my my aunt and uncle when they would take me 
for a couple weeks here and there, they would, like, make sure to get me ordained <laughs> or whatever, you know. Anyway, but, um... So I went to church, and because of my conversion, my friends that I was staying with, they kicked me out in the middle of winter. It didn't matter to them. Like, I thought they were my friends, you know? I almost died of hypothermia that winter. Because I was a goth, these self-righteous, over-righteous, whatever you call them, Hypocrites is what I call them. Like, nobody in the church would help me. Like, I lost my place to live in the middle of winter and had to walk the streets for like five or six weeks from December of 96 into January of 97. Because of my conversion... And all I get for it is kicked out of the place that I'm staying and no help from anybody at church. Luckily, the government helped me. I went to them and I was able to get an emergency food stamps card. So basically what I would do is I would go to Albertsons on Antelope Drive and Main Street in uh, Clearfield, Utah. And I would buy something I could put in the microwave across the street at 7-Eleven. And then I'd go over to 7-Eleven and they would let me cook it in the microwave. And then I would, they also gave me a bus pass at the government office. So I'd ride the bus around, you know, just to stay warm. And uh, I remember there was this green box by the Arby's and the McDonald's. By There used to be an Albertsons and they came out of the corner of Antelope and Gentile. Anyway, I'd go, and there was, like, multiple buses that would go there. So, like, if a bus showed up, they would stop, and then they, I guess they'd figure that you were probably looking for a different bus, and then they would leave. And But there was this green electrical box, and on on days what, that were a little bit sunny, I would, like, lay on that box and just warm up, try to get warm. And then I would walk all night long, because I knew if I stopped walking that I would probably die of hypothermia, which I had had in the past in Boy Scouts. So anyway, uh, my grandparents, um, my grandpa actually was laying in bed one morning and he heard a voice and the voice told him to go find me and send me on a mission. Now, I talked about all of this in the past and this is not what this program is about. But I'll go through a really quick rundown of things that happened after that point. 
I was called to serve in the Georgia-Macon mission in the South, which was interesting because I was a Baptist when I was younger. Um, I got my patriarchal blessing, which says, and I give unto you the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life. I asked a stake president and a stake patriarch when I noticed that language. It wasn't the one that I was, not where I got the stake, uh, the patriarchal blessing, but anyway, I asked them, what does this mean? And they both said the same thing, that it means that you've had your calling and election made sure. So then I would go to God and I would be like, how is it possible that somebody like me, who was a drug addict, who was homeless, who has been in hundreds of fights, who has been severely abused and neglected, and all the things that have happened to me, how in the world is it that I just meet the missionaries like four or five months ago and I'm getting my patriarchal blessing, and it says that I have been given the gift of eternal life. How is that even possible? And I would pray, and I would ask God that, and he told me, it's not because of who you are in this life. It's because of who you were before you came here. And then I would be like, what do you mean? And he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't say anything. Now, God has been directing me and speaking to me, and I know he lives. I know he exists, and I knew it before that, and I know it even more now. But he wouldn't give me any more information. So I studied it out. I studied everything that I could on calling elections. Which, basically, there isn't a whole lot. I mean, there's some. But, like, it's mostly speculation, you know? And Peter says that we should all make our calling election sure and I'm like well okay well how do you do that and what does that even mean right and I kept asking over the course of many years through my mission I asked after my mission I asked I was an over the road long haul truck driver for many years and I didn't really have award that I went to because one week I might be in Cincinnati on Sunday another week I might be in Denver on Sunday another week I might be in Toledo on Sunday or or, or Laredo or San Antonio or you know Ellensburg Washington or Los Angeles, California. You didn't know where I would be from one Sunday to the next. And if I was in um, Ote Mesa in Southern California and San Diego, one week I might be in Vermont 
next Sunday. I might be in Hamilton, Ontario, or British Columbia, Canada, or Miami, Florida, or anywhere in between, anywhere in North America, because I was an over-the-road truck driver. And I hustled. And as I would drive, I would listen to audiobooks on tape, and I would listen to CDs, and I would spend my, my off time reading books. And when I was in the, the truckers' lounges, I would be talking to people, doing missionary work. And if I was stuck somewhere, I would go find some non-denominational or Baptist church or whatever, and I'd go pick a challenge to the <laughs> to the Baptist or to the Methodist or to the Lutheran or whatever, and I was on fire. But all those years, I asked, what does it mean to have your calling and election made sure? And one day when I was on a load from Los An- or from Salt Lake City to Los Angeles, I didn't have to be down to Los Angeles till Monday morning, and I left Salt Lake on like Friday, so plenty of time, which was fine because, you know, if I like to st- I like to stop and and if something's if I'm worrying or thinking about something, I like to stop and and just read. And then I'll read whatever it was that I'm thinking about. And then I'll drive, you know, and whatever. So I'm asking God on the side of the road south of Beaver, Utah. Again, what does it mean to have your calling and election made sure? And I had been reading something. And I've been just pondering and trying to understand what this thing means. When I was caught up in the flesh, but my flesh was removed from the truck. Like I was sitting in the passenger seat and I had this steering wheel desk that I'd put over the the steering wheel. And I'd put my scriptures on it and I'd be reading and I'd be praying. I was completely removed out of my truck. Like, my body went through the walls of that truck. Don't even know. Kind of like, I think it was Peter that was taken to the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, and then he baptized him and his body was there with him. And he went down into the water and he baptized the guy. And then he went back to Jerusalem in in the blink of an eye. That's how I was moving through the immensity of space and air of this earth. And I was taken so fast, like faster than the speed of sound. It was like, it was like lightning fast, faster than thought. And I found myself in this place that was It was like this little valley, little valley, and there was a small creek. I don't know if it was small. It was like 
I don't know, 15, 20 feet across. Anyway, so I'm standing there and God says, wash off in the creek. Stream, river, I call it a creek. Anyway, he says wash off in the creek and I go down and I wash off and I felt the coldness of the water. I felt the breeze. I saw the the grass moving in the breeze and there was a lot of like grass, like long prairie grass, I guess. And then there was sagebrush and there were trees off in the distance. You know, there was a canyon where the stream went down and off in the distance. And then there was this, what I can only describe as a cattle path. And God said, look. And I looked and he said, follow the path. And after I washed off, I got up and I followed the path and I followed it. And I climbed the beginning of these foothills and I kept following it. And there's no trees anywhere, but there's sagebrush and grass everywhere, right? And I keep on following it and I go around this cliff and I go up around this mountain. And these, this mountain is not huge, but anyway, I go up around, well, I guess it kind of is. It, it took me quite a while to to climb this mountain. And I went around and I stood on top of the cliff that the path went by at the bottom of the cliff and then I continued following the trail and I kept walking and I kept walking and eventually I was on the top of this mountain that was this big round mountain but it was really long. And like I could look down one side and like it was pretty far down both sides, but like it was really wide. Anyway, and there's this path and it's just right along the top of the mountain. And I continue to walk and it keeps on gradually getting higher and higher and higher. And I continue to walk and then I come into these pine trees. And there's trees everywhere. And I continue to walk. And like I said, this experience is taking a lot of time. But I am going to listen to God when he tells me to follow this path. And I am following it. And I walk through the woods and the trees. And up ahead, there's a clearing. And it is the top of the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, there was a small white temple. Which I was not expecting to see. And I walked up to the doors. And it said something to the effect, now I'm doing this all by memory, I'm not reading. And I wrote all of this down, all of it's written down. Like, as soon as it happened, as soon as I was back in my truck, I wrote every detail that I could could remember down. And, like, it was so vivid in my mind at the time, and it still is. I can still, as I'm telling you this story, I see it still. This happened in 2003, almost 20 years ago. And I see everything that I'm telling you. I can I can tell you details. I can tell you that I smelt the sagebrush and the wind or the breeze. 
I could smell the pines. I could see the creek. I could hear the creek. All of this is so burned into my memory. But I'm walking up to this temple and I get to the to where the door is of this temple. And above the door it says house it says house of God or house of the Lord or something to that effect. And there was writing on the door and it said, Enter in that you may obtain your calling and election. And there was actually a place where I could take my shoes off and leave them there and walk in, which is what I did. And I went through the doorway and I went into this room and there was this foyer. And there was some furniture and so to the left there was a hallway that was pretty wide but the foyer was wider and like if you looked at the diagram of this it would be like an L I guess with a fat part at the bottom and then the hallway was the stem that goes up right so anyway and it was really really neat like the walls seemed to give off their own light but there was a chandelier and there were these white glowing stones like the brother of Jared had or like Noah had in the ark that lit up the inside of the ark and the chandelier was just filled with these beautiful glowing crystal stones like not glowing but like emanating light from them and I walked down the hallway and there was a I don't know, a hallway table, I guess. And on the table, there was this vase with these white roses. And the white roses gave off their own light. And it is why my favorite flower today is white roses. Because of that experience. And I continue to walk down this hallway, which is probably about 15 feet long. It wasn't long, maybe 20 feet long. I get to this doorway, and it is covered by this really thick velvet-type curtain. But, like, it's not thin velvet. It's not, like, just this weird... It's not, a, it's not anything I've ever seen before. This curtain was literally about six or seven inches thick and it was hung on an iron rod with gold tips and these gold rings and I put my hand through this curtain or veil and I parted the veil and I went into this room and I saw a great, magnificent light on the other end of the room. I went in the room and I walked towards the light. And as I got closer to the light, 
and I started to come into this glory, I saw a man standing in the light, one man. And I got closer, and I immediately knew exactly who it was. And I fell flat on my face before him. And he called me by name and he said, get up. And I stood up and he opened his arms to me. And I embraced him in the flesh. I embraced him. He embraced me. This was and is our Father in heaven. And I know that he lives because I have seen him face to face. And that he is not a spirit. That he has a physical, tangible body that I have felt with my own two hands. And he told me to kneel in front of him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I am sealing you up unto myself that you may be sealed up unto eternal life. And I knelt before him and he placed his hands upon my head. And as he began to speak, light emanated from me. So he has his hands on my head I have my arms folded in front of me that I'm looking down at and light is bright white light is emanating from me and it was so surprising I did not expect it and I was so distracted that I did not hear what he said. He told me what he was going to do and why he was going to do it, but he didn't tell me everything about that experience. And he didn't, I, I didn't hear what he said. And I, that was by design. He needed to give me something. He made light emanate from me and I don't know if he did that on purpose or what I, I assume he did because he didn't he needed to do something but he didn't want me to know what it was he was doing but he needed to do it to me which later on I found out what exactly he said because I was ready at another point 10 years later but at that point I was not ready I was not ready to know what I know now And after he finished, he told me that, that I would, am going to go with Jesus. And Jesus was there, and I embraced him as well. I looked into his eyes. I saw the smile on his face. I embraced his flesh as well. And we went back towards the beginning of the room... Now, remember how I told you that the foyer and the, the hallway were like an owl? 
Well, that's because there's a room on the other side of the hallway in, that's in this larger room, and it's a place where you can go sit down and just talk. So Jesus tells me to sit, and I sit, and he, he says, you can have three questions. And, like, honestly, I was so full of questions. I was like, okay. He says, think about what you're going to ask me. <laughs> and I was like, well, what about this, and what about that? And, then, and like, and my, my questions were, like, a bunch. And I was 26 years old at the time, so forgive me. But my questions were... a group of small questions within a larger question. And he was patient, and we talked for quite a while. And he told me things and um, about my life and about my wife that I had not met yet and about what he wanted me to do. And he talked about my past. And one of the things he said about my past is something that I think is really beneficial for people to know which is that he allowed me to go through all of the things that I went through and that he allowed that for his wise purpose. That I might be made into the servant that he needs me to be. And as hard as that is to hear, because as hard as this life has been for me, I can accept it because I know that it was his will that I went through the abuse and the neglect where I had to turn to, well, I turned to drugs, and that wasn't working out for me, so I turned to him. And he took all those drugs away, which, by the way, when I was, when I wrote that letter, I said, if you'll heal me and show me the truth, well, when I asked God if, if Joseph Smith was a true prophet and the Holy Spirit burned through me like hot oil, I didn't tell you this, but the drug addictions that I had at the time, they were all gone. God took them all away. So anyway, Jesus and I get done talking, and then... um, I, you know, I walk to the door and I exit the temple and then I am flying at like the speed of light or the speed of thought back to my truck and like I get into my truck and I'm like, what just happened? And like I was so completely exhausted, but I had enough energy and I just wrote all of the things that happened and then I passed out. And you know what? That was in 2003. I didn't really share the experiences a whole lot. I didn't share them publicly. I did tell some family members. I did tell some friends. I wanted people to know that these things still happen. So I made videos in 2008 there's YouTube videos of me and I'm like 400 pounds and I have no facial hair and my hair is really short and I look really dorky and back then YouTube only lets you do like 15 minute videos 10 to 15 minute videos 
So I had to like hurry up and, and you know, condense it down and share. And I, I would always be like, I knew this guy who had this experience. Let me tell you about the experience. Because Paul, he said, I knew a man in Christ above 13 or 14 years ago, whatever it was, who, you know, who was caught up to the third heaven, you know, so he, and then he was talking about his own experience, but he, you know, kind of was not wanting to share that it was him. And at the time, I believed the LDS church because they would say, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine, which means don't talk to people in your congregation about your spiritual experiences or deep doctrine. You know, it which drives me nuts because, like, they're telling, basically telling their members that they're swine, which is not okay. But anyway, so I shared this experience in this YouTube video as though I heard about it. And I'm pretty sure I can find those videos again. That The links are still good as far as I know. And actually, I... I think I've screen recorded it and put it up on um, my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash God is my compass. But anyway, so, um, so I had this experience and I continued to learn and to grow. God gave me visions. He took me up in the spirit. He gave me dreams. He gave me written revelation. For years and years and years. And I bit my tongue a lot at church. And I would just share whatever it was that they were talking about. And I knew that there was things that were wrong. But I was like, well, the people are just imperfect. And I would give them a pass and whatever. And I continued in the church until 2013. And for some reason, I knew all about the Adam-God doctrine, but I didn't know that it was forbidden knowledge. No idea. I was so uh, unique. Yeah, I was so naive. And I was talking with my in-laws, and I, I talked with a couple other people, but I found out very quickly that you are not supposed to talk about the Adam Gunn doctrine. <laughs> anyway, so the state president calls me in and he's like, you believe in polygamy? Because I've been telling my mom, yeah, my mother-in-law, yeah, I believe in those things. Doesn't mean I'm going to live it. You know, you believe in polygamy? And you believe in the Adam God doctrine? I'm like, Brigham Young taught it. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I know you're not supposed to share deeper things at church because people aren't ready for it. But, like, I wasn't teaching it at church. And then he made inquiry about my experiences, which my mother-in-law, I'm sure, was the one that did it. She told him about these things. 
And I said, yeah, like, I was taken up, this happened, and I didn't tell him, I don't think I told him about the Father and the Son, but I did tell him about the experience in 95 in the Salt Lake Temple. Which, by the way, in 2004, I was commanded by the Father to write a letter and send it to President Hinckley, and I drew, drew diagrams. I was very, very detailed. And um, I knew that's what he was going to ask about. I kept this binder, and I have that letter with me. And it has off, like, since I sent it to the uh, the church headquarters, they, like, called my stake president on a Thursday, and he, and he said, hey, somebody wants to come, uh, wants to meet you. Can you please be to sac- the sacrament meeting room 30 minutes before sacrament starts because somebody wants to come meet you. So I'm there the next Sunday, and it was El Pomperi, and he came in and he wanted to meet me, and he wanted to talk with me. And like the last thing he said, he slapped me on the back and he said, well, God's the one that chooses his prophets, because we sure don't. And I was like, what does that even mean? But I was, like, so impressed. And it was kind of cool, because, like, it was a singles ward, and my first wife was with me when we were still dating, and she forgot her glasses, so she couldn't see who it was. And she was like, who's that? And I'm like, it's El Pom Perry. <laughs> and she's like, no way. And anyway, but, like, I'd run into him before. We used, my ex wife and I, the one that was with me before we got married, we'd go to the Joseph Smith Memorial Building all the time after music and the spoken word and go to church with her great uncle, who was Gordon B. Hinckley, at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building. So he slaps me on the back. He says, well, God's one that chooses prophets because we sure don't. And all of these singles people in my ward are walking in and seeing Al Tom Perry standing there talking to Mark Lickenwalter. And then he like he actually spoke at our meeting and while they were singing the last hymn, he actually got up and walked out and he waved at me and left, right? Well, I told my state president in 2013, here, this is from the church's archives. Here's the archive numbers. Here's the first presidency number. Here's the general vault number. You can talk to Al Pomperi about these things. He's interviewed me about them. He, This man was red in the face and angry and did not care. He was angry about the Adam God doctrine. He told me I was a bald-faced liar, that I couldn't have those experiences, that the only person who could have that kind of experience is the prophet of the church, who at the time was Thomas Monson. But Thomas Monson knew me too, because I used to date one of his great nieces. In fact, she got revelation and told me that God told her that I was supposed to be her or her husband. And she was nice, and I liked her. But it never, it, it just, I was more interested in Rebecca than her. Anyway, but, uh,
I was scheduled for a disciplinary council so I could be excommunicated. Unless I recanted. And even though he could call and get an interview with Al Tom Perry, and Al Tom Perry knew exactly who I was, he refused. Now, at the time, we lived in upstate New Hampshire, and I had to drive down to Brockton, Massachusetts to get my truck, to drive my truck. And then later on, I transferred over to um, Hartfield, Connecticut. Or I think it was Hartfield. Anyway, it was in Connecticut. And I was an over-the-road truck driver for FedEx. And we would leave out on Sunday night and we would usually get home on Friday morning or Friday evening and we would have Saturday and Sunday off. And for some reason we couldn't get back in time and I called the state president and I said, hey, I'm trying to get back for this trial but I'm stuck and I cannot get home. Can we please make the trial a different date and he says nope you're getting excommunicated and like no trial like he's already made his mind up he's going to just excommunicate me without even looking at any of the evidence and I, I have no way to like be at this thing and I was so upset And I was weeping and I was crying to God and I was like, why is this happening to me? Because I was, I was ignorant. I didn't know. I knew that there were problems, but I didn't know the out of God doctrine was a problem. And I didn't know that like the state president or anybody would really freak out about my experiences. They really did happen. But it made this man so angry, and I wasn't able to attend my trial. And I was bitterly weeping, questioning God, why is this happening to me? And he came to me again. No, he came to me this time. I didn't go to him. And he said, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but I was obedient and I knelt down before him and I said, Father, who am I? And he took me up in the spirit again. And I saw a vast congregation of angels and we came down like we're flying down above this congregation I'm looking down on everything and I'm in the spirit and there is this platform and in front of the platform there is a, a, a group of 12 and then on the platform there is the father and then to his right which would be my left, is Jesus Christ. And then to the right of the Father, which would be his left, 
is another man, and I know that that is the Holy Ghost. And God tells me, this is a vision of the pre-existence. And he tells me, this is me, you know, this is Jesus, and this is Lucifer. Which I was like, what? Lucifer? What are you talking about? Why is he standing at a throne next to you at a platform, on a platform? And later on, I was taught that, you know, the, the father is called the morning star, and that he comes in the morning of the history of, of creation, that the Redeemer, God II, is the bright morning star, and he comes at the noon of the history of creation, which he did, and that the evening star is God the witness of the Holy Ghost, and he comes into mortality in the evening of the history of creation. And that, that Lucifer was God the witness, or the Holy Ghost. But he rebelled. He disrespected the Father. He disrespected the Son. He rebelled. He thought that he should have been the one to be the Redeemer. But he was not chosen to be the Redeemer. He was chosen to be the witness. And that the man that was chosen to be the Redeemer, he'd actually had hard disagreements with because of what they went through in prior mortal probation. And I saw Lucifer fight against the father and the son with testimonies and words. And I saw him lead away almost the majority of the hosts of heaven. And I saw the elect go among the hosts of heaven that had followed Lucifer and teach them and bring them back over to the plan of salvation. I also saw a division among the the mighty and strong ones who were generals in the armies of heaven and there was about a 50% split between Lucifer and Jesus, or Yeshua. I saw the Father strip Lucifer of his name and his title, which means bearer of white, Hillel, or in Latin, Lucifer, and he became Hasatan, or Satan. And he and those who followed him were cast out. After everything happened, after a third of the hosts of heaven were cast out, Satan's not there anymore, so he doesn't see it. But he knew 
that I was standing among the, they who are mighty and strong, who are the generals and the armies of heaven. And the Father chose me to take the place of God the witness, or Lucifer. To fill the vacancy that had been lost. And that is why I have seen the Father and the Son face to face. And that is why I have embraced him in the flesh. And that is why God has shown me so many things. That's why he's given me revelation. And that's why he called me his final prophet. He came at the very beginning of the history of this earth to provide bodies for us, for our spirits to dwell in. The Redeemer came in the meridian of time, in the noon of the history of this earth, to make a way for us to be redeemed from the fall. And I come at the end of the history of this celestial earth to teach they who had been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast and to set the house of God in order. That is who I am. In this book that I'm going to be reading, probably for the rest of this week, it talks about what the prophet Qumran saw in his visions. Physical descriptions, characteristics, a whole bunch of stuff. And we're going to get into it. And I have created a poll at facebook.com. Well, it's my group on Facebook. LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions about which which book you want me to cover next. And I created that poll this morning and it's Wednesday, March 2nd. And only one person voted and he voted three times and only one of his votes was on the list of books that I said, you know, hey, choose from these books. If you have any other books that are online um, that are free to read online, you know, I can read those. It's not a big deal. Fair use covers it. You know, but put the links in the, in the comments below and he didn't do that, but he, put, he added two options to the poll. But only one of those books is uh, a book on the on the list that I gave to everyone, which was Holy Priest Volume Four, which is a book that I'm not reading again because it took me I don't know month or two or two and a half months or whatever it was to get through that book, and that book's all about polygamy, and we just went over that, and I think he thought it was funny to do that since I'm all like I'm not doing any more books on polygamy right now I'm done with polygamy and he chooses the one book 
Holy Priesthood Volume 4 that talks about polygamy. No. Sorry. No. Ha ha ha. Nice joke. And then the other two books that he put down are... You know, he didn't put the links down, so I'm like, whatever. But uh, nobody voted other than this one guy. You know, and I, I think that maybe... I don't know what I'm going to do, but I feel like, you know, if nobody cares, why am I wasting my time? Other than to make it so that you're beyond, I don't know, you're judged. I, I don't even know. And I don't care. I don't care. But I waste a lot of time trying to teach these things to people who don't care. And... You know, I don't know. If people don't want to vote on it, I mean, there's 4,000-something people in the group, and it's an active group. Nobody cares. Like, I don't know what to tell you people. I am so far spent. And you know what? I do enjoy reading these books, and I enjoy refreshing, you know, and learning and all of that. And maybe I'll just keep doing it for that reason, but... I have been doing this since God told me to start my first radio show podcast, internet radio show podcast, January of 2014. And since then, I've done so many podcasts. And I honestly don't know that it does any good. Because all it does is I get mocked, I get ridiculed, I get told, like I got told last night on the Zoom call, Oh, shucks, boy, it's all of the devil. You know, like... I've had death threats over this stuff. I get hate because of this stuff. I have been fired from jobs because they find out about my claims and I lose my livelihood because of this stuff. I have lost friends and family members because of this stuff. And I don't see the reward or benefit to to putting myself out there over the years and sharing these things openly where I have lost jobs, I've lost friends, I've lost money, I've been threatened on so many different levels, including with my life. And I continue to do it, and I don't know what the benefit is. So anyway, let's uh, see if Kim is on the line and see if Emma has anything to say, and we'll figure it out after that. But yeah, we're going to be reading The Final Prophet, but this clip is getting too long, so here we go.
Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're getting into part two of The Final Prophet. I'll just be reading. I had to actually sleep more than I usually do today because I'm just so exhausted. So I'm not going to be able to record a ton but uh, maybe we can have a conversation uh, if people call in. Also, my wife cannot be on the show probably today because we have somebody coming over during the time when the show airs. So anyway, let's see what we can get done here. The Final Prophet... The following are excerpts from the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. This is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall teach the the true way to the nations. He shall not cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in the streets. He shall not break even a dim wick. He shall bring forth the true way. He shall not grow dim or be bruised till he has established the true way on the earth. And the coastlands, so the isles of the sea, that's what the King James would say, but and this is talking about Isaiah saw in vision this place that he couldn't prove existed because it was in North America that this servant would come through the house of Joseph in the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. And the coastland shall await his coming. Who is the servant? He teaches the true way, or the true religion, or the mishpat in Hebrew, to the Gentile nations. The true way is the kingdom of heaven within. Jesus' true message and the main subject of the Urantia book. So, the reason why Isaiah says that his voice will not be heard in the streets but that he teaches the nations is because as Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori saw in his visions that the Messiah Ben Joseph would use social media. And Yitzhak Kadori said that, that this man would not come forth until the death of, of uh, Ariel Sharon. Well, 
Heavenly Father told me to prepare to start doing these radio shows. And I did. And then I went live with my full radio episodes on the Kingdom of God or Nothing. January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. And yeah, I'm telling you, I'm the last prophet. I am the Messiah Ben Joseph. And the reason why Isaiah says his voice is not heard in the streets is because I'm reaching the nations through social media, through these uh, programs. And if you're hearing these things, then you are blessed. If you listen and obey, if you shema, but most people, they hear it and they discount it and they say these things can't be true and that I'm deluded and that I'm deceived by Lucifer and all the things. But that's what the Jews said to Jesus and that's how the Gentiles treat me. And that's how the Jews treat me. That's how everybody treats me except for a few. Anyway, continuing on. Your answer book, True Religion, consists and the, spirit, the experience of the Spirit itself hears witness with, a, with our spirit that we are the children of God. Also see chapter True Religion in the Urantia book. And the discourse, uh, Jesus' discourse in the True Religion Urantia book. So I don't know what to think about the Urantia book. And I'm only quoting it because they're quoting it and they mix it in. But I think there's something to it. Uh, the Urantia book was compiled by an unknown author. And it was placed in a place where somebody would find it. And nobody knows where it came from. Nobody's ever stepped forward to to claim it. And it's full of very, very interesting teachings. And it's very thick. So there are whole groups uh, who are devoted to the teachings in in the Urantia book, as well as the scriptures. So anyway, true religion, the only true way, is a way that has never yet been taught to the nations. Elsewhere in scriptures, we are told that before the end of the age, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven will be proclaimed to all the world, who in the present world knows about the kingdom of heaven. Certainly not the popular scholars read their work. Certainly not those who espouse the gospel about Jesus Christ, but just who might this be? It would appear that the servant of Isaiah chapter 42 is an individual that will teach about the kingdom of heaven within. Not that God God puts his spirit on the servant. Therefore, God anoints that servant. And that's what happened to me in 2003 when, when the father placed his hands upon my head. And... Doctrine and Covenants section 103, it says that mine angel and also my presence will go before you. While the servant 
is the angel, that God the witness is the presence of God who walks among you today. There's two servants. In Isaiah, it talks about salvation and righteousness a lot. These are two Davidic servants. Not just one. These are the two witnesses of Revelations chapter 11. Now, some of you believe that Joseph Smith is among us again. And some of you believe that I am Joseph Smith. But when God showed me who I was in 2013, I saw Joseph standing next to me when I was chosen to take the place of the witness of the Father and the Son. Joseph is not the witness of the Father and the Son. And I am not Joseph. And I hope that he comes back. I don't know. I, that's something that I haven't been shown. I think there's a lot of good evidence that he will return or that he has returned. I hope he does. Because I can't do this by myself. I, I don't want to. And it would be nice to have somebody <clears throat> to stand with me. Um, excuse me. In uh, the lecture at the Grove, Joseph Smith makes it clear that for this earth there is three in the Godhead. For God the first, or the creator, who is the father. God the second, the redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. And God the third, the witness or testator, who is the Holy Ghost. And then Joseph says something very interesting, who is a spirit, which goes right along with Doctrine and Covenants section 130, where Jesus Christ tells Joseph Smith that God the Father and God the Son have bodies that are tangible. And I can testify to that because I have embraced them both but that the Holy Ghost is a spirit. And at that time, I was a spirit. In the Doctrine and Covenants section 45, I think it is, it, it says, all right, you know, there's a man from beyond the veil speaking to Joseph Smith, and he says, and the day shall come when you shall see my face and know that I am. Well, Joseph Smith had already seen the Father and the Son. He already knew that they were. But God the witness was speaking to him. And he said, And the day will come when you shall know my or see my face and know that I am. This whole idea that Joseph Smith is God the witness, you have to do mental gymnastics or ignore scripture. And I've heard people say, Well, William Clayton just added that part. And they've got all kinds of things that they say that that is, um, they're like slippery snakes. They're like snakes covered in oil. Like you cannot ca catch them. They're worse than greased pigs because they bite. You know, if, if, you, if you attack their pet doctrines, they'll find some way to slip out of it. So what they say is William Clayton added that. So they take what God has said in a revelation in section 130 and then they they say it, it, you know that it, that's not really from God 
you know, and it, it just goes along with their narrative that they're trying to create because Joseph Smith has to be God the witness, even though Joseph Smith said that that the Holy Ghost is yet a spirit being waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things as Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do? He taught. He was executed. And he rose on the third day. Well, where do you see that again in Scripture? And it's not talking about Jesus, but it talks about <clears throat> Revelations chapter 11. talks about the two witnesses. Isaiah calls them salvation and righteousness. The two witnesses, I believe, are Joseph Smith and God the witness. And they're put to death and they lay in the streets for three days and three nights. And it says that the Spirit of God enters into them and they are raised up. Well, the reason the Spirit of God enters into them is because one of them is a God. God the witness. Come in mortality. And he's raised on the third day along with the other Davidic servants and they are caught up for the whole world to say, and I ask God, why? Why does it have to be this way? And he says, because with my son they put him in the tomb and he was resurrected out of sight. And people could say that that they stole his body and, you know, whatever. But, but with my witness, the whole world will see him raise, rise again in resurrection and they will be left without excuse at that point. That God does raise his children from the dead. And in Revelations chapter 12 it says, and that man was caught up to his throne next to God. That's because God the Father sits in the middle God the Redeemer sits on the right hand of God and God the Witness sits on the left hand of God. And they have three thrones of authority. Alright, let's see here. Oh, um, I don't know if I said this, but in Doctrine and Covenants section 103 it says, Mine angel will go up before you and also my presence. That's because it's God the Witness that is walking among them among the redeemed of Zion. And the angel is Joseph Smith. And, and the, the word angel actually just means a, a sent one. It's like apostle. But Joseph Smith returning as a translated being or a mortal being or a resurrected being, I don't think he'll be resurrected, of course, because how is he going to die again? But anyway, it's just, I don't have all the answers, but I do know who I am, and I do know that Joseph Smith was standing next to me among the mighty and strong ones when I was chosen to take the place of, of the witness, and that Joseph Smith acts as an Elias, or like John the Baptist prepared the way for the Redeemer. Joseph Smith laid the foundation of Zion to prepare the way for me to come. Anointment 
is what happens to make someone a Messiah. Well, that's true because Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew means anointed. And when you say Ha-Messiah or the Messiah, you're speaking of the the main Messiah, but there are other Messiahs as well. And Cyrus in the scriptures is called a Messiah by Isaiah. Anyway, this is why the Dead Sea Scrolls speak more of more than one Messiah. The Messiah is Melchizedek, a divine being, or another Messiah is God's servant or the final prophet who put who God has put his spirit upon or anointed. So I didn't write this. I'm just reading what he says, or she. I don't know who wrote this, but anyway. Also note that God calls his servant my chosen one. This provides a link to the Dead Sea Scroll fragment, which describes a chosen one who reveals God's truth and wisdom at the end of the age. The fragment gives us physical characteristics, education, life history, and purpose. I believe this scroll fag- fragment describes the end of the age the, and the final prophet to come. So, um, these are all quotes from the scroll fa- fragment found in Cave 4 of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're all cataloged in a certain way. So, if it's uh, 4Q, that means it comes from Cave 4 of Qumran. And this is the 534th fragment. And on that fragment, it is speaking of the final prophet. And it says, of his hand, two, and then there's a missing part. And then it says, a birthmark, and the hair of his head will be red. That's why that guy that I told you about, the one that said, will you meet the descriptions? That's one of the reasons he, when he saw my videos and heard my, what I proclaimed, he was like, oh my gosh, that's the guy that the prophet of Qumran was talking about. All right, so let's see here. Chosen one, and there will be lentils on, and then there's a missing part. And small birthmarks on his thigh. And that's true. So, when it gives you the dot, 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 if you're reading along, that just means that there was a problem with, like, it, like part of the problem with old parchments is that it decays, and so they can read some of the stuff, but then there'll be some decay or something will have happened, and you won't be able to read the whole portion, and then... And then, you know, then you'll be able to read more after the part that has decayed. So, of uh, chosen one, and there will be lentils on, and then it doesn't say anything. It It's decayed. And then it goes on to say, and small birthmarks on his thigh, which is another mark of the Davidic servant or the final prophet, which is true. And after two years, he will know how to distinguish one thing from another. In his youth, he will be like dot, dot, dot. 
a man who knows nothing until the time when he knows the three books. And I believe that the three books... So in my youth, I didn't know anything of God. I knew some things, you know. And God did speak to me, like, in 1989 when, when the Soviet Union fell. He actually told me that... Um, to beware of them because they did not fall. That they... I can't remember how he put it. Of course, I was... 12 at the time but he basically said they didn't fall that they took off their uniforms and they put on suits and the same men who controlled the Soviet Union are still in power and he told me the reason that they did this is so that the West would de-escalate and be brought into a, uh, a sense of security so that later on they could attack the United States again. And, and God told me this when I was 12. It was the first revelation that he ever shared with me. And I was, I was so happy to see the Berlin Wall fall and the Soviet Union be destroyed or fall. But he, he basically, don't get your hopes up because it's not what's going on here. Anyway, when it says he knows nothing until the time when he knows the three books, I believe that that is the stick of Judah, which is the Old and New Testaments, the stick of Joseph, which is the Book of Mormon, and modern Revelation. Now, that's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they don't, probably don't, ex uh, you know, that's probably not the translation that that uh, scholars would come up with, but this is the prophet of Qumran, and he sees the latter days, and he sees the, the final prophet, and he sees his life, and he writes about it. And then he shall acquire wisdom and learn understanding. Visions come to him on his knees. And with his father and his ancestors, life and old age. So, that's true as well. I'm, God has given me so many visions and revelations as I've prayed to him to understand truth. And with his father and his ancestors, life and old age. My grandfather was 82 when he died. But my grandmother, the woman who raised me, she actually died on my daughter's birthday a couple years ago, and she was almost 97 years old. Counsel and prudence will be with him, and he will know the secrets of man. His wisdom will reach all the peoples. How does that happen? It happens through social media and these type of programs. And he will know the secrets of all the living. And I bite my tongue so much. And all the designs against him will come to nothing. And his rule over the living will be great because I am a king. I was anointed as a king and a priest unto God and unto his 
his, uh, you know, his first witness, and then to the people. His designs will succeed, for he is the elect of God. His birth and the breath of his spirit, and then there's a portion that's missing, and his designs will be forever, and then there's a portion that is missing. So uh, during the millennium, there'll be... Um, the New Jerusalem and Zion, and one will be uh, the political portion of the kingdom of God, which has a king, which I am over the political and, and military portion of God. And then there's the theological portion of God, or the kingdom of God, which that's over uh, Jesus, or the first witness of the fathers over that. And we're under the direction of God the Father, who is Adam, the Ancient of Days. And he is under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim. And uh, if you have a question on that, you can call the radio show and ask. Because I've, I've talked about it a lot in the past. Why I say that? Anyway, one can speculate that this information regarding the final prophet was part of the revelation to the teacher of righteousness of Qumran community. More on this topic will come up later. We also note the coastlands again. They are the ones who await the teachings of God's servants. And that is talking about the Isles of the Sea and the King James Version of the Bible, which is the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills spoken of in Genesis chapter 49, which is North America, which is where, which is where this kingdom is born. Next, the Lord further addresses the coastlands, or the isles of the sea, or the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. Isaiah 42.9 See the things once predicted have come, and now I foretell new things. Announce them to you ere they sprout up. Isaiah 42.10 Your coastlands and their inhabitants and this is all coming from, uh, I think the Dead Sea Scrolls talks about this. Anyway, Isaiah 42:11, call out from the peaks of the mountains. That's because Isaiah saw in Isaiah 35 that they are led in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places, and that Zion will be born in the desert. And the, the desert will blossom as a rose as Zion is born there. So, and what Isaiah saw is the area where I'm at now in Emory County, Utah, and south to Lake Powell. That's where Zion is born in the wilderness as everything is falling apart. Let them do honor to the Lord and tell his glory in the coastlands or the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. Isaiah 42:16. I will lead the blind by a road they did not know. And the blind are the saints that have not woke up yet. So these people are going into the wilderness because there is turmoil, turmoil and, and rioting and wars and it's not safe to be in the city. And in 2016, God told me to warn people to leave the cities. And he told me to tell people to gather to Emory County. And I was obedient. Um, when I was 
19, a couple of months before I met the missionaries, um, I was homeless in San Francisco, and I was living in my car, but I was at Pier 49, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, you see spirits a lot, don't you? And I'm like, why, yeah, I, I do. Why do you, why are you saying that? And he says, there's a great light above your head, and spirits are attracted to you. And he said it was like a lighthouse. Now, it's interesting because my name, Mark Lichtenwalter, means warrior light in the forest. And it goes along with a light breaking forth among the Gentiles. The ancient prophets, all of their names had the meaning of what they did. And so does mine. Light in the forest. A one who fights is a warrior for light and truth. That's what my name means. Um, let's see here. I don't know. I To the world, this all sounds delusional. People will say that all of my experiences were of the devil and that I have been so greatly deceived. And they said the same thing to Joseph Smith, too. When Joseph told people about his experiences, they would say, Oh, shucks, boy, it's all of the devil, you know. And that's what they did to Jesus, and that's what they do to me, and that's what they did to Joseph Smith. If it doesn't go along with your narrative, you're not going to accept it. If I'm telling you to do things you don't want to do, you're going to find reasons to not do it. Like a greased pig, you can't be caught. And Ephraim, I've said for a long time, Ephraim is, is like uh, trying to trying to speak to Ephraim is like herding cats. You, they don't listen. They're going to do what they want to do. And, you know, if you confront them, they will hiss and, and growl at you or whatever and bite you, you know. And if you try to show them the truth um, and or show them the error of their ways, they're like they're like greased snakes or oily snakes. You cannot catch them. They will make up things to work around what you're telling them. And they will bite you. Like like a snake would. And you, you just can't catch them. They, they're oily snakes. They're greasy snakes. If, if somebody has to make up stuff so that when you're trying to correct them, they can't, cannot, cannot and will not be corrected, that person is making it up as they go along and they're oily, greasy snakes. And when you see people do those type of things and you say, well, what about this? And then they make up something out of the blue. That contradicts the scripture. You have to do what Joseph Smith said and set them down as imposters and hope that they repent.
continuing on, and I will make them walk by the paths they never knew. I will turn darkness before them to light, because the one who leads them is light and truth. The presence of God who is among them. And the angel which leads them, which is talked about in Isaiah, or well, all all throughout Isaiah, but DMC 103 talks about the presence of God among them. And I will send mine angel and and my presence. That's two servants. But they'll say, no, that just means one, and you know, because it goes along with their narrative. And people who our great big wise elders can't be taught because they know everything and they want to be an authority and they're a law unto themselves and if it doesn't go along with their narrative they will reject it and they will they will lead many astray because they have turned to become Judas goats anyway rough places in the level ground these are the promises I will keep them without fail. First, God tells us that he is announcing something new. Since the described events have not yet happened, we can be sure that they will happen in the future. The Lord tells us that he will lead those who live in the coastlands or the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills by roads and paths they never knew. So he talks about the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. Turning darkness into light and rough places will be made into level ground. These promises will definitely be kept. Now, if we are falling asleep while reading this, God says, Isaiah chapter 42, 18, listen you who are deaf. And why are they deaf? They're spiritually deaf. And you blind ones. And why are they blind? they're spiritually blind. He's telling you to look and to see. Who is so blind as my servant or so deaf as the messenger I send? So at one time I was very spiritually blind and very spiritually deaf. I talk about being gothic. I talk about my past, my drug addiction, my homelessness, my anger all the things that happened when I was younger and I was very blind and deaf but God has opened my eyes and he has unstopped my ears that I may hear his voice and his revelations and see his visions that he has sent me who is so blind as the chosen one so blind as a servant of the Lord seeing many things You give no heed, with ears open and hear nothing, and the Lord desires his servants' vindication, that he may magnify and glorify his teaching. Here we have a comical account of the servant who is as blind, who is as blind or more so than the rest. He needs God's vindication as he stumbles along, and that happened in, in 1996 when God completely turned my life around by healing me completely of my drug addictions and sending me the truth. We are also told here that the servant of the 
coastlands or the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills as a messenger as well as a servant. Last week he hinted the servant of Isaiah to, uh, called the messenger and the interpreter of the law, both of which are terms used to describe the final prophet in the scroll and in the scroll. Oh, let me see. Used to describe the final prophet in the scrolls. Only God could love such a foolish sounding person. God loves to bring his truth through the lowly and the humble or out of the mouth of babes comes wisdom. Some may be disappointed if they have unrealistic expectations regarding the servant. God now reassures those who love him protection and restoration. Isaiah 43.1 Fear not, for I will redeem you. I have singled you out by name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. Those streams, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be scorched. Through flame, it shall not burn you. Isaiah 43, 4. Because you are precious to me and, and honored, and I love you, I, I give men in exchange for you and your people in your stead. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And how does he do that? He's one man. He does it through this program. And for those of you who have been warned, it is required for you to warn your neighbor. You've got to share this stuff. This passage is one of the most touching expressions of the Father's love for his children. Truly, the hairs on our head are so numbered. Also notice again the theme of God's protection of his people through water and fire. Lastly, note that his sons and daughters are located far away from the central location. He says of Israel, but there I'm calling to the to the people around the world who are the elect of God who hear these programs to come home. If you live close, but you're not here, come home. There is a gathering place in Emory County, Utah. This is the gathering. This is the gathering. Not Fairview, not Manti, not Spanish Fork, not Salem, not Tonopah, not salt or like not Provo. It's time to come home. This must be the lost Israel remnant as Judah's remnant, the Jews are already gathering in modern Israel. That's his opinion. Now we have judgment, Isaiah forty three, nine. All of the nations assemble as one, if only you could heed my commands then your prosperity would be like a river, your triumph like the waves of the sea. That about sums up the problem. God offers man the universe for free, and man is too smart to be tricked and turns his back and, blo- and walks blindly off a cliff, which is what people do when they just reject what I say. When they don't do as God has commanded them through my voice, 
God wants to offer you so much. And he knows the end from the beginning. But in your ignorance, you decide that you're going to stay where you're at. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're doing that. Now listen. God's servant is addressing the coastlands or the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. Isaiah 49.1 Listen, O coastlands, to me, or isles of the sea, and give, give heed, O nations afar. The Lord appointed me before I was born. And I've talked about that, what he showed me in 2013, where I was chosen to be the witness. That's when I was appointed. That's why when I ask God, how is it possible that I can have my calling and election made sure? It's not because of who you were. It's, because, right, it's not because of who you are in this mortality. It's because of who you were. But he didn't let me know what, what it was until 2013. And when he showed me, it took me a minute. Cause I thought Joseph Smith was God the witness. And I'm standing there just trying to take it all in and it finally occurs to me and I looked at Heavenly Father and I said am I the witness and he got this, the biggest smile on his face and it looked like he was like oh you're finally waking up and he said well it has to be somebody and I was like what I just was blown away and then it made so much sense why I have embraced the father and the son when Joseph didn't. Joseph was an Elias. He was not the witness. He is a witness. He's not the witness. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my mouth like a sharpened blade. He hid me in the shadow of his hand and has made me like a polished arrow. Now, Joseph talked about this too, but God has hid me in the semi-truck for all of these years, and he's hid me in the palm of his hand. And when people have tried to come against me to kill me, he has told me to flee, you know, and I talked about that in the past as well, uh, how the men... Uh, Oh, God told me not to go back to Utah. And so that's why I went to Florida. And then my mom told me that there were people looking for me and they were like parked outside of the house for like a couple weeks or a couple days. I don't know, it's been a long time. And that these men in suits were looking for me and that they were questioning and hounding my mom about me. And she was like, I don't know where he is. He's a truck driver. Anyway see here and he concealed me in his quiver and he said to me you are my servant Israel in whom I glory Isaiah 49 5 so anyway I think I'm going to have to be done at this point we're at 11 minutes and 26 seconds into the reading which is 12% and I'm going to have to go because I am going to be late for work and I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do a live show tomorrow. I don't know how it's going to work out. But somehow, I've got to go up to Utah County to get my eyes checked. 
so I'm going to be driving tomorrow, and I have to be there at 5. 5.20, I think. Anyway, so I might not even do a show tomorrow. So anyway, i got to get going. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless, and good day. So, anyway, that was uh, two different shows that I did quite a while back. Um, I did misspeak a couple of times about minor details, um, but they're, I don't think they're relevant. So, anyway, well, that's the program for today. Uh, like I said, I don't usually do a live program, but I felt impressed to do it. And uh, so, that's a little bit longer than uh the normal podcast that everyone for listening. Take care. Okay.